My name is Eric Lane Barnes, and I'm the director of music here at East Shore Unitarian Church, and I use he, him pronouns. Today we're, we'll have a speaker. Swapnesh Dubé grew up in poverty in Mumbai, but he was able to land a job as one of India's youngest news anchors. When a story crossed his desk with a decidedly anti-gay bias to it, Swapnesh told the producers he would not read the story. They pressed him, and he walked. Since that time, Swapnish has found success as an actor, producer, model, and as a talk show host. In the pilot for his series, Let's Talk About It, Swapnish interviews several people living in Dharavi, Asia's largest slum. We'll be viewing this 45-minute pilot at noon today, so please come back into the sanctuary or stay tuned on Zoom. It's an eye-opening, uplifting, heartwarming, and at times devastating piece of video journalism. And now here is my very good and wonderful friend, Swapnesh Dubey. Hello, my name is Swapnesh Dubey, and I'm very grateful to speak to you all. Today, I'm going to speak on the topic of poverty. Who is poor? And does wealth really makes us rich, or does it further throw us into a poverty of a different kind? But before I go there, let me give you some numbers from India and how poverty has engulfed most of the Indian population. About 60% of India's nearly 1.3 billion people live on less than a $3.10 a day. The World Bank's median poverty line, according to 2017 Oxfam report. And about 250 million people, which represents 21% of India's population, survives on less than a $2 a day. Today, the richest 10% of the Indian population controls 80% of the nation's wealth. And the top 1% owns 58% of India's wealth. By comparison, the richest 1% of the United States owns 37% of the country's wealth. I wanted to use these numbers to show the extreme problem that India is facing at the moment in the name of poverty. Yet, those in power seem to have no plans to change this situation. And things seem to be only getting worse. At the end of March 2021, India's external debt was placed at $570 billion, recording an increase of $11.5 billion over its level at end March 2020, according to the Reserve Bank of India's data. So what should people who live in poverty do? Should the poor simply accept where they are and call it their fate? I don't think so. Should they never imagine getting out of poverty? That doesn't seem to be an answer either. So is there a solution? I don't truly know. But what I can share with you all is what I experienced through living in poverty throughout my childhood. As long as I can remember my family had lived in poverty, excepting these past few years, when I started working, this began to take us out of poverty and gave us a taste of the life that we used to think was impossible to even dream of. 
I had seen my mother struggling to do things no one should ever be struggling to do. Arranging to have food on our plates twice a day was such an impossible task. We sometimes had only rice to eat and water from the rice as a curry. I watched my mother in this daily struggle and I felt how difficult it must have been for her. And this wasn't just my family. All around us, everybody was going through the same struggle. I used to wonder why everyone struggled so much to stay alive. What wrongs had they done to deserve this? It was only later in my life that I learned poverty is not the result of doing wrong of any kind. Remarkably, in this extreme level of poverty, I noticed people were often happy in spite of their situation. I have never believed in the idea of glorifying poverty to make it look somehow noble. But my life experiences have taught me that happiness can be found in any situation. If we keep waiting for happiness to come someday, then we might die waiting and it would never arrive. When I realized this, that is when I started questioning who is poor? What are the conditions on which we call someone poor or wealthy? I would say anyone who defines wealth as simply having a lot of money is actually quite a poor person. While money can certainly buy everything one needs, it inevitably also distances one from others. In our poor society, we had no money and yet Whenever someone needed a shoulder to cry on, someone was always available. When someone needed to raise a certain amount for study or medical expenses, we always made contributions to make it possible. While we had no money individually, we were stronger as a community. Today, I believe being wealthy is when you have people to stand with, to share with, to cry with and laugh with. If this society, living at or below the poverty line, is able to take care of one another, then I would not call them poor. Those who know how to pull imperceptible resources to support one another and grow together are truly wealthy. This cannot be said of India's richest men who put all their money into building mansions for themselves overlooking slums of Mumbai. The caste system in India has also played an integral part to keep people away from dreaming. The caste I born in was supposed to be the teachers and someone who only should live their life based on bhiksha, which is a Hindi and glorified word for begging. One of the classic examples of caste making you feel like this is what you are born in, so this is what you should do and beg for whole life to survive. Understandably, many would argue this is not the case anymore in 21st century. But I would argue that we have changed the way we follow caste system, but we still do follow it. And just going out of metro cities would tell you how ingrained caste system is in India. Like earlier I said, caste system dictates what occupation one can do. 
Brahman being on top of the system got to teach, but imagine those on the bottom of it. They were called Dalits and their jobs were garbage collection, sewage handling and dealing with cadavers. And this made them untouchables in the society. Just by being in a caste that is supposed to be always on the bottom of everything. If someone wants to dream out of this setup made for them, then they were attacked, lynched and forced out of towns. You will get plenty of examples where just because Dalit man decided that he wants to sit on a horse during his wedding ritual, he was physically abused and many more such instances. This certainly limits one's capacity to imagine and dream to be whoever they want to be. They keep feeling that it's their fate because where they are and the gods have decided this for themselves. This very idea stops one from ever realizing the power that they have, skills that they carry and charisma that can change not only them but also their community. On the other hand, country like the United States of America presents every person with so much opportunity and environment to think. They can be whatever they want to be, no matter what. That certainly creates more people to take risks and dream of becoming whatever they want to be but the extremity of it is everyone starts believing that they are better than others. Self-importance becomes so high, they start to believe it's them who are the reason for Earth to even move. USA can be a perfect place to learn two things. One, how to provide the environment to everyone so we all dream to be our better selves. And second, be aware that the same environment can be used to cause so much destruction all around the world. The poor are those who believe that monetary wealth is the only parameter that defines their worth. The poor are those who use their riches to simply create more wealth for themselves, thereby increasing the obscene inequity between the haves and the have-nots. The poor are those who decide they need to put their name on everything so people will remember and praise them even after they are gone. The poor are certainly not those who find ways to help one another, to be with each other. On my earlier question, does wealth really define us? Yes, it actually does. It creates extremes out of humans. It gives us Donald Trump, the finest, most terrible example to consider before letting your monetary wealth define you. Everyone in the world seems to look towards financial wealth as the final solution to all the problems. But is it really a solution or the start of a different problem altogether? The problem of isolation. Wealth has the inexorable ability to distance one from many and substituting necessary human relationship into transactional relationships. To me, that seems a scary situation to be in. I certainly look forward 
to bettering my circumstances, but at the same time, I have a fear. I have a fear of losing my loved one. Should I jump too far? I return again and again to be always close to my people rather than owning my own helicopter. Recently, I hosted a talk show where I interviewed people from Dharavi, Asia's largest club. I asked them direct questions, many of which people are not supposed to ask. This whole experience opened my eyes about what poverty truly is and what it isn't. This changed me as a person. They showed me how material wealth should never define a person's worth. Although Tharavi, the slum, is not the place they want to be, they never stop trying to live lives full of value, love and joy. For them, human connection and love are the wealth they enjoy. Wealth that enables people to express love and connection is true wealth. Our religious stories are full of examples that tell us how wealth can make one delusional. So many people with material wealth will never hear or see anything outside of their manufactured comfort zones and will be forever stuck in the luxurious echo chambers they have created for themselves. Indeed, this was the situation Siddharth Gautam found himself. Imprisoned in a palace filled with every worldly and material desire any human could want. And yet, he felt a deep need to escape the palace walls and see life as it is lived beyond the golden gates. You probably know the rest of the story. He saw old age, sickness and death. He saw holy man who had renounced all material wealth and this person seemed happier than any he had seen in all of his richly appointed palace days. The subjects in my show Let's Talk About Tharavi do not come from wealthy families, but they have so much wealth of happiness that I couldn't stop talking to them. They have wealth of spirit, of positivity, of hope and togetherness that nothing in this world can ever take away. I strongly believe the idea of poverty is an illusion. Those who seem to have everything actually have nothing and those who seem to have nothing actually have everything. If someone with lot of buying power is considered wealthy, then someone with lot of skills should be considered wealthy as well. Anyone with good, compassionate human qualities should be considered the wealthiest of all. It doesn't matter if you own Facebook or Twitter or X, I suppose we should call it now. If you are without integrity, you are the poorest sort of person imaginable. What I'm trying to say here is that we all are poor and wealthy at the same time. It's only a matter of how we look at it. I have seen people from slums who are happy and hopeful and I have spoken to millennials in penthouses who are sad and lonely. I have seen people sharing each other's lunch and laughing together. I also have seen someone sitting at a sumptuous lunch in a five-star hotel who is desperate for love. Sharing each day with a group of friends has always been the part of every evening for most in our culture. Sitting on the floor and eating dinner with family is what keeps us wealthy every day. 
The many celebrations we enjoy together are a form of human wealth. Even flooded Mumbai streets bring strangers together, helping one another. This is all what I call being wealthy. When one has a compassionate heart and the ability to share life with others, you are richer than those who have money but no heart, who have mansions in France and Dubai but no empathy, who have exotic cars but no humanity, who do everything for themselves but shun the rest of the world. If one has all the riches in the world but no true connection with humanity, then one is living in the worst kind of poverty, a slum of the heart, if you will. It seems a certain Middle Eastern man who lived over 2,000 years ago had similar things to say on this same subject. Something about the lilies of the field, the eye of the needle, and gaining the whole world, but losing one's soul. On that note, I conclude my words. Thank you very much.